1: Welcome to the show, IB Nation Sports Talk. We are up and running along with Jesse Styers, Sean Styers. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've had a Thursday show because of Notre Dame's women's basketball season. And, and based on the number of people who are in here with us live right now, <laughs> that's, I don't know if the, and it's, from what, from fa, what Father David Penny says is we've got multiple shows going at the same time. I just texted Brian to let him know that we're starting our show. So who knows? Who knows what we're doing tonight? How are you? Well,
2: hopefully uh, Brian can throw up a lob and just tell everyone to go on over to this show as as soon as he wraps up, whenever he decides to wrap it on up. Yes, that is very true. And I think, I want to say they might have started
1: around 2 o'clock, something like that. It's a long show. I thought they'd be done by now for sure.
2: <laughs> well, it is combine day, so I'm assuming true. there's lots of combine talks.
1: Speaking of which, I've got NFL network on in uh in my room here, and Isaiah Foskey of the, the defensive lineman have been going today. Foskey at the combine had a 34-inch vertical jump as well as a 10 foot five-inch standing broad jump. So I guess you know fairly average nothing that really was outstanding and i saw daniel jeremiah or i heard just before we went on daniel Daniel jeremiah predicting isaiah as an early second round early second day guy is what he was saying on nfl network
2: yeah you know based on what you were saying there those aren't like wow numbers those aren't like catch your eye numbers those are very just kind of uh, check the box kind of numbers just to make sure mm-hmm. you're not coming into too too short I guess is the 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 way to do it with the the vertical and the broad jump Um but yeah it, it, those those aren't just like wow numbers so you know hopefully it, there's gonna be more drills so hopefully Foskey can do more to kind of you know differentiate himself um, for the pack but I, I agree with you I think at best he's a late first round that's at very best and you'll probably you know we'll probably yeah. see him going round two and Potentially even three. It's just hard to say because, you know, there's talented players, but it's just a matter of fit and where other guys are taken and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So,
1: yeah. And I mean, he's someone who could really stand to benefit from really good testing, but hasn't, you know, just with those results right there, not necessarily great in the early going. Anyway, they're doing the, you know, different pad shuttles and all that kind of stuff right now, you know, stuff that, uh not necessarily is going to elevate his stock, I don't think, quite that much. But in any case, um, so Isaiah Foskey at the combine, and we'll talk about Isaiah Foskey and uh, you know some other stuff coming up in rapid fire in a little bit as well. I'm, of course, in Greensboro, North Carolina, day two in Greensboro. And yesterday I mentioned that the Notre Dame women – did their uh, practice at Guilford College yesterday and Larry sent us this message before the sh- the uh, show started world be free do you have any idea have you heard of world be free
2: Jesse? <laughs> i have no clue what that's in reference to
1: he's uh, well i mean you're you're a young pup but <laughs> it's like world it's funny that you're in cleveland because when i like world be free played in the nba for several teams but the one that i think about him the most is with the cleveland cavaliers i think of him as a Cleveland Cavalier like like early 80s I think World B Free was in Cleveland and uh, Larry said that uh, Guilford College division 3 and I think back then it was even NAIA is where World B started out I did not realize that when I was there yesterday Uh-oh Brian Driscoll Do you know in. where
0: do you know where Brian
1: Driscoll made his first career college reception? <laughs> I'm going to say Guilford College. <laughs> you are correct. Nice. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Answers to all these trivia questions. <laughs> Brian pops in. Brian pops out. He is gone. Apparently, they've wrapped up their show. I had to so. let
0: everybody know that we we Sean and um, you're going to find this shocking. Sean, Sean Davis and I went over our time on a show. I know what you're going to you be say? floored by that. Did
1: you cut? Did you go around four hours today? Is yeah, because we started at two. Oh yeah. my
0: gosh! Yeah, our mailbag was very long. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently so.
1: a lot so, of good question we did
0: make sure we i saw it at six o'clock i was like okay we got to get out of here everybody get over to Sean's show and then i jumped in and jesse's like doesn't know who world be free is so that was like strike one everybody <laughs> come on.
2: Man.
1: perfect timing He's killing me and then killing me. guilford college that's as it right turns out, so who knew who knew No kidding. have a great show guys all right thanks see you, man <laughs> all right so uh so brian driscoll first career reception guilford college where uh the notre dame women practiced Yesterday, they're going to face North Carolina State tomorrow. The Wolfpack beat Syracuse today. They scored 54 points in the paint in their game today. The uh, the Wolfpack did against Syracuse. So, interesting matchup coming up tomorrow. Lauren Ebo didn't play the first game against the Wolfpack. But uh, she will be back in action tomorrow here at the, uh, the ACC Women's Basketball Tournament. 2 o'clock tip-off time, Eastern Time
3: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.
1: One other interesting note, speaking of, of being here in Greensboro in the women's tournament, I'm sure, Jesse, you've heard of the Cavender Twins. From the University of Miami.
2: Yeah, I heard that one of them, uh, at least one of them, was in some trouble. I don't know if or potential trouble. I don't know if that affected well, both of them.
1: There was some recruitment, you know, thing going on with a you know pre-existing relationship with a booster. You know, like they they knew this person something. You know, down at Miami, and so Miami got a little bit of a probation. But Miami is staying in this hotel, so they are here. And earlier today. I got on the elevator and this guy gets on wearing all Miami gear and we start talking and it turns out he's their dad. And not just that, he's from South Bend. He's uh, He was born in South Bend, went to St. Joseph High School in South Bend, was actually a high school teammate of Kevin Corrigan, the longtime Notre Dame men's lacrosse coach. So
2: very interesting. Small, small
1: world. world. <laughs> That's right. His wife, I think he said, is from Waterville, Michigan. Little little Michigan town there in, uh, what would that be? Southwestern Michigan. So interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Tommy Guns is looking for some whiteboard breaking down Tommy's <laughs> different duo run plays. That's a term I hadn't heard before Brian started saying that.
2: I mean, the main thing about duo is it allows the running back to make their read and cut based off of a second level Defender as opposed to a first level defender and run scheme. So like basically it, 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 it if the defense fits it and, and does what they're supposed to in their gaps, it allows the running back to kind of break it and then get that one-on-one matchup uh, with the defensive back. But really it, all duo does is you're, you're you're reading the second level defender, AKA maybe a safety walk down in the box um, or an inside linebacker. So that's, that's really all duo means. Yeah. I, I, If I had whiteboard, you know, I could, but I wasn't prepared. But that's that's all. Duo is much
1: more. That's like that's yeah. That's imaginary whiteboard. (laughs) You know, visualize the whiteboard. Uh, Salty, yes. My bed is a mess. This is what happens when I get to stay by myself for a few days (laughs) in a hotel room. I don't have to make the bed. I can just do what I want. Uh, The housekeeping came yesterday. They did not come at all today. So you know, the trash is also starting to pile up a little bit let's put it that way and uh derek to answer your question no i did not stick my foot in my mouth with the dad i did not i did not and uh d hawk orioles and pirates playing in the bottom of the ninth without umpires did you hear about that jesse
2: no i didn't actually
1: i, I want to s- they uh I guess the umpires just took off after the eighth inning of a spring training game this week. And so the catcher for, I, I can't remember if it was Adley Rushman for the Orioles or who it was, the catcher just called balls and strikes for the ninth because, you know, like whichever team wanted to make sure that they got this relief pitcher an inning of work. And so the umpires were gone. They called balls and strikes themselves. And
2: that's a later, true honor system right there. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I heard, um, you know, it's been a busy week already for you in Greensboro. Mr. Uh, Matt Packard released a, a oh, an Packer. apology. Sorry, Mark Packard. Yeah. Uh, released an apology to Neil Ivey this weekend. I think you have a large part to do with that. You uh, <laughs> you and some others from the media made sure he heard it after, you know, and I understand that if he doesn't agree with the decision, but you don't publicly do that and you have to give, you know, Neil Ivey her respect and her credit. So. I, I did it was apologize. A unprofessional. Um, but I think, you know, you have a large part of that apology. <laughs>
1: I, like I said, it was kind of my tweet that got the snowball, you know, the, the, the ball rolling on this whole thing, you know, with the backlash. He was responding to my tweet. He was responding to a Michaela Mabry, the Irish assistants tweets at him, and, you know, things blew up. Tyler, Hork- Tyler Horka also you know tweeted some stuff he tweeted the whole thing what 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 Packer originally said and we played it here on the show yesterday but uh, yeah after that NC State Syracuse game he came on and he started off the next segment with an apology he said basically he got home he rewatched it he realized that he didn't he he should have spent more of the focus actually talking about the accomplishments right, the Ivy and this team which is completely, you know, what we were saying, and the point that I think everyone was trying to make. There was too little time actually spent on the merits of what Neil Ivy did with this team this year, as opposed to, you know, really kind of making it sound like, you know, he was knocking him down, and it, and it should have been Carol Lawson. And by the way, I looked at the voting today because the ACC didn't actually send out a, a media release, but they put up, you know. The all, the all conference and all the they, they, they put the vote tabulations on the story on their website. And Niel got I think it was two hundred and eleven votes. And I believe Carol Lawson was somewhere around one hundred and forty seven. And then the third place guy, Kenny Brooks from Virginia Tech was like one forty two. So like Mark Packer is making all these points about how he thought it was Carol Lawson. But Lawson and I'm not taking anything away from her by saying this. But she was closer to the third-place vote-getter than she was to Neil Ivy, who ended up winning the thing. So,
2: Yeah, and I think T-Guns uh, brings up a funny point. He probably got a little uh, phone call from the good old ACC network, and they probably said, hey, you might want to reevaluate uh, I, what, what you got going on right now.
1: And that's – yeah, and USMA87 said he got the call from the ACC and needed his job. I mean, that is – I, do I know for a fact that happened? No. Do I know that formal lo- complaints were lodged about the way he conducted himself? I do. So I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it had more to do, you know, more to do with just getting home and, and rewatching his segment <laughs> on TV and decide, man, I didn't handle that very well. So yeah, I think he, I think he was probably probably told to do that. And, you know, so I, uh, one way or another, he did it. He did it on TV. The problem is far fewer people were watching after the NC State Syracuse game than were watching to, you know, to see what was going to happen during those award shows the other day.
2: Right. I think you, uh, if he if he's in Greensboro, you might have to stop by, say, hey. <laughs> he's
1: there. He's, he's there. Their set is like right, you know, probably about 50 feet from where I'll be set up Calling the game tomorrow. So I'll have to see. Stop <laughs> I, bet,
2: uh, I bet Mike Bray wishes he was <laughs> doing as well as Neil Ivey is doing this season. Well, Mike Bray had a good night last night, though. Right? I mean. I saw some of those pictures. I don't know if I've ever seen Mike Bray have that much fun.
1: <laughs> he brought the party is what he did. Could you believe that,
2: that, they, that they beat Pittsburgh like that? I can't, but my money did because I won a, a hefty <laughs> amount of money off of uh, Mike Bray sealing it down, the, the his last home game inside Purcell, Purcell Pavilion. I was banking mm. on that happening. I thought, you know, last game for Mike Bray, senior night with all those seniors that they have. Um, and I, I was just glad. Yeah, I had a good hunch that, you know, that that line was juiced. They were the underdogs, and I, I took it and, and won some good coin off of it.
1: USMA 87, by the way, says I should challenge Mark Packer to a wrestling match. And I can tell you this with confidence. You know, I don't know what Mark Packer did in high school, but like the way my shoulders feel and all the other issues that I've got, like he is one guy, I would say, yes. Give me two <laughs> minutes and I would win that match.
2: Set up a little courtside ring. That's right.
1: But uh, Mike Bray. 391st career home game at Purcell Pavilion last night, and his 315th win. So, uh, pit led for all of 37 seconds, but uh, you know, it was one of those they get up by 20, and then it's like, what did it get all the way down to four at one point? Like, is this going? Oh, get the game away? was
2: a marathon, and I saw they got up big, and I honestly didn't want to keep checking because I knew that it was going to get closer and closer and closer and a common theme for this team this year is blowing games late at the end, mm. you know, North Carolina, I saw, um, and then and some other games too. So I was just, I, I'm one of those people now where when I place bets, I don't like to watch them. And then when I saw that got up 20, I was like, this, I just don't want to jinx it. So I stopped, <laughs> I stopped late. I stopped. And then, you know, the, the thing about it was the game felt like it went on for three hours. I texted it you. I got like four miles in on the treadmill. I came home, I took a shower, I ate dinner. And the game was still going on. I just kept waiting for that notification that the game had ended, so I could just see if they won or not.
1: So many free throws, so many fouls kept stopping the clock at the end of the game. That was one of the larger or longer college basketball games I've seen in a while. It it just went on. They and wanted on. And that was milk just out. mostly hanging on, to, you know, to see if they showed much at the end of the game. They really didn't. You know, they kind of showed him waving a little bit I guess he went and did his radio post game interview didn't do a press conference did his thing headed straight over to the backer you know drank some had some shots drank some Guinness I guess do you he was, believe you know, that's he,
2: his first time ever going to the backer
1: I think it's crazy we were talking about it last night it it doesn't it's like that guy is uh it, you know he's he's got some of his own haunts that he goes to you know notoriously and it's just amazing that he had never been to the backer and he made it. I guess he was only there for about an hour and a half. And then he went over to the Morris to roars and uh you know, like his, his former team uh, players and stuff like that were there. So he got, he did that, which, you know, you can understand. Right. That. I mean, the pictures I saw, it was like, it was at, it was like after a football game. Linebacker <laughs>
2: packed, it looked, it looked, was it. packed in there. Yeah. I'm sure the Notre Dame students were complaining about it though. <laughs>
1: Hey, I mean, like what I was wondering is like, was he going to walk in and just open up the tab and, you know, like drinks on me? I didn't hear any of that kind of stuff, but sounded like he was socializing quite a bit. All right, well, hit the like button if you would. We've been here for a while at this point. And, of course, subscribe, rate, review, and all that. Leave us a comment, whatever you'd like to do. We do appreciate it, and it does help out Irish Breakdown. Let's talk a little bit of football now that we've talked about everything else kind of to start things off. I mean, Marcus Freeman and the uh, the offensive staff it's it's almost all officially in place at this point. We know Jared Parker's the offensive coordinator. We know Gino Gadooli is the new quarterbacks coach. I would ring a bell if I had one that I actually said it right the first time today <laughs> the first time in a while. Joe Rudolph of course, not official, but he's going to be the new offensive line coach. So, a month ago You know, you still had Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and you had Harry Heastand as the offensive line coach, Jared Parker as the tight ends coach, and now it's Parker, O.C., tight ends, Gino Gadouli, quarterback coach, and Joe Rudolph as the offensive line coach. So, like, what's, what's your confidence in this trio compared to the old trio that we had just a month ago before Tommy Reese took off?
2: You know, compared to a month ago, I'm not gonna lie, I'm 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 more concerned than what I was, and I think that's me just kind of getting, you know, caught up and complacent with what was already there, right? And so anytime there's a change, there's always gonna be a fear of is it going to be better or at least as good as what was previously here. And so again, I'm I am I am not more confident now than I was a month ago, and I think that's not gonna change. Until we see them at spring practice, and and really, you're not even going to see a lot at spring practice. So really, my confidence is going to come game one of next season. And until then, really? you have to you're going to have to prove me otherwise because I don't know enough about Jared Parker. It's not like he has an offense that's been, you know consistently in the college football landscape. Um, when you lose Harry Heastand, who has arguably you know been the best assistant at Notre Dame over the last decade, considering. You know, his guys that have made it to the NFL, the all pro status, the super or sorry, the pro bowl status. And some of these guys are going to end up being Hall of Famers by the time it's all said and done. And so there wasn't going to be any, you know, topping or beating what Harry Hestan brought to the program. Maybe the, the recruiting, because I know he wasn't a fan of recruiting. And I think that was one of his, you know, least favorite things to do is being on the road and constantly recruiting. Um, and I think really the only thing I feel better about or positive about out of this situation is the fact that they now have a, a, a committed, pure quarterbacks coach. And I think, again, that still needs to be proven because quarterback development has been one of the bigger issues at Notre Dame over the last decade as well. So, you know, I'm not any more confident in, in these guys than I was Tommy Reese and Harry Heestand, largely because of the stuff I talked about. And I just don't think that it's going to change until I see them actually play um and, and you know see what the results look like so yeah I uh, it's agree. just unfortunate but that's just how it's <laughs> gonna be when you have a lot of guys I mean especially an offensive coordinator who just isn't really proven yet yeah it's
1: uh, like I, I don't necessarily doubt these guys and I don't doubt these guys I think they'll do a pretty good job but I just there's there's just no history you know like if I went what am I most confident in in one what am I most concerned about one of my biggest concerns is you've got an offensive coordinator who yeah he's called some plays and he's done some stuff but now it's like he literally has to put together whatever his offense is he has to put together a whole offense now and now thankfully he doesn't have to worry about calling plays and stuff like that well i am you know i guess he'll do it in the blue gold game that'll kind of be his test run but you know like you said it's not going to be for real until navy so he's got several months to go with that but What's that going to look like? He didn't get, you know, he was running Neil Brown's offense at West Virginia when he did get to actually have the keys <laughs> to the car. So, you know, that's that's my biggest concern. I do like what you're talking about with Gaduli because you've got a dedicated quarterback coach now and a quarterback coach with a track record. Uh, you know, like Desmond Ritter is still sort of the big name. You know, I, I think that, that we can... Kind of underrate what Tommy Reese was able to do with with really the last three quarterbacks just just because you know there there were always some little things that we could kind of poke holes in and 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 pick apart with Tommy Reese you know how, how consistent things were and 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 again going back to the Brian Kelly pairing and all that kind of stuff you know like who who was in charge of what how much of of that offense all that different kind of stuff but I am I am confident. I'm concerned about just the fact that that Jared Parker is a really inexperienced coordinator and that's what he's got to put you know he's got to put this whole thing together now and make it all fit and make it all work
2: yeah and I think another kind of underrated aspect of it is you know the, the the fact that 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 they do have someone like Sam Hartman coming in I think his experience is going to help maybe bridge that gap a little bit more with Parker and his offense, just considering how much experience um, that he has. But I mean, that's still another concern of mine too, is now you have a first time offensive coordinator and you have a one and done quarterback. That's, that is just strictly here, you know, for one year. So he can and try to debut, you know, showcase that he can run a pro style offense and hopefully, you know, get some NFL teams interested, but that's, that's still another concern of mine is because now you're building development for just one year with one offensive coordinator. And so you would hope that even though that maybe, you know, that even though Sam Hartman is the starter, he's still kind of working and implementing his system for the guys behind him for the upcoming years. And I think that's going to be the most important thing this season is, yeah, you want success this season. Obviously, you know, you, you play every year to win and, and go as far as possible. But really, I think the bigger focus is long-term, the marriage between Parker and the rest of the quarterbacks and how the system is going to be run.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I do like the fact that that Parker was was talking about, you know, like in terms of his involvement with the quarterbacks, and we talked about this when we played some of his comments last week, like he's he's not going to jump in so that, whoever, you know, whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Hartman or any of the young guys after Hartman, you know, Buckner and Minchie and and car and those guys, he's not going to jump in and, you know, be like, like an extra void, you know, like you've got the over here and Parker over here, you know, in one ear and the other ear. So, you know, there's not too much going on there. He's going to let when it comes to actually coaching the quarterbacks, as he said, he's going to have a pro do it. He's going to let the do it. He's, you know, he's going to handle that aspect and, and his, his role is is going to – obviously, he's going to have to work with the quarterbacks still, but his role is going to be more about the overall big picture right. uh, macro for the offense. Tyler, with a super chat. Thank you, Tyler. Um, aren't we – aren't you glad that we're playing Navy, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan before Ohio State? And I would say absolutely yes, because that definitely gives you, you know, a
2: three-game lead-up, but you also, you know – you also, like – those are big risks that you could you can't That's lose exactly those games right. either. <laughs> you lose one of those games, and everyone's gonna start calling for Parker already. It's oh e- my goodness, it's either really good or really bad, but and it's I mean, good even because even if it's, it's close
1: like if they don't score over 35 points in all three of those games, and maybe even closer to 40, there's gonna be you know people are gonna be having conniptions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do think what I am most confident about in Parker is that he's going to adapt a system that plays to the strengths of his personnel. And I think that's what I'm most excited to see because that's what the biggest emphasis has been on from Freeman and Parker so far. But you can talk the talk, but I need to see you walk the walk. That's, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking for in the offense this season is what, what are they doing to specifically tailor what their personnel can do best? What are they doing to get their strong running back group more involved in the game? What are they doing to get you know their offensive line and tight end synced up to be able to run the ball and how are they playing you know play action and etc coming off of you know playing essentially playing to the what they do best and i need to see that on a consistent basis
1: now you've been through spring practice yourself you know playing you know, regular play a play a football season in the fall then you go through spring practice how does the importance of spring football do you think change this spring football specifically, due to these changes?
2: Oh, this has got to be the biggest spring practice that, honestly, on, on the offensive side of the ball that they've had in maybe four or five years. Because anytime a new coordinator comes in, yeah, he was here last year. But, I mean, this is your this is your opportunity to showcase what you can do and why you deserve to move up the, the depth chart, essentially. In my opinion, when you get a new coordinator, it's all wiped clean because – I mean, when, yeah, that, like I said, there's tape of last year and he was around last year, but I mean, that goes all out the window. He's now no C he's now calling plays, creating plays. And so you need to prove to him on an everyday basis, what you can do and how valuable you are to the team. So I think this is a huge spring ball for everyone on the entire offensive side of the ball. I think anyone has a fair shot at, you know, earning their play playing time this season.
1: I absolutely agree. And, you know, like you've got, A a grad transfer quarterback coming in. You've got these young quarterbacks who are going to be there, who, you know, who all basically everyone has to assimilate into this offense. You know, the whole the whole team now has to assimilate into the offense. Now the verbiage and the terminology, you know, that stuff apparently is going to stay mostly the same, but it's it's gonna be different. And I agree, it's like probably you have to go back since Chip Long took over in the spring of 2017 so that's been six years really the biggest spring since then when when all the coordinators changed in that offseason after going four and eight the year before that I think this is it's it's a huge spring and again you know I, I don't I don't doubt that that they'll be able you know to to do what they need to do but it's just it just adds a different layer on top of everything because again like a year ago, Not quite at this time. A year ago minus about a month, everyone's talking about consistency and staff and all that stuff. And look at where we are just a little bit more than a year later, how much turnover they've had. in just a little bit more than a calendar.
2: It's the turnover in addition to the unknown. And the unknown will fear a lot of people, reasonably so, because of what I was saying. Like, there's just no – you've never seen a Parker, a fully run – Parker offense in action. You, you've seen a little bit of bits and pieces. Yeah, you haven't seen him. No idea what of, it is. Right. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know. You know how much is it going to differ from what they're used to, etc. Do I think he'll be okay? And do I think he'll do, uh, you know, a pretty solid job? Sure. But you know, I want to see him go to that next level. I want to see this offense, like I said, play to its strengths and really take over and win games when they need to. So that's that's really just all I, I'm I'm concerned about.
1: Derek was asking if uh, he wonders if they're they're going to do another spring draft this year. Not do you remember that last year where they drafted teams and they yeah know, they, they made a big deal of it and all that. We
2: did that a couple times as well for our spring games.
1: Did you? Yeah. What did you think of that? Because like Tommy is saying, he wants to see ones versus ones. You know. Yeah, like-
2: I mean, I, I like it because you know how, how how I know how they did it for ours is there were captain they were like a group of captains on each for each team. And essentially, you went position group by position group. You you started with okay, maybe running backs, and that's, that's what they did last year. Right. Yeah. You would draft it, you would draft all the running backs, and then you move on to wide receivers, and then you move on to offensive linemen, defensive linemen. And I like it better because it's not strictly just a ones versus two things. You get a mix of ones versus ones, maybe ones versus twos, twos versus twos. To me, it's the most equal and balanced playing field, and in a spring game. You want to see competition. You want to see how guys are doing. And when it's strictly just ones versus twos and twos versus ones, then I think sometimes you get out of the aspect of it, you know, once the ones can, can ultimately just dominate the game. And so when you equal out the playing field and have a mix of ones and twos, I think it makes for the most competitive and most um, you get the most out of it. You get the most, you know, you get quality film, you get a better understanding of kind of where everyone is at when you do it this way. Interesting. Okay. That's just my take on it.
1: Now what do you so so you're saying you just get a better read on everyone?
2: Yeah, because you you have instances where ones are going against ones. It's not, of course, you know, depth charts are for a reason. And so I'm not saying that, you know, sometimes there's there's times where twos are better than one and one night might not be as good as two, but predominantly the ones are the one for a reason. And so I want to see best on best and see how that's gonna go because I think it's a true test how good the one really is if he has to go against the other one across from him
1: yeah i mean i think that's what everyone would like to see especially when you do have a new offense out there and gun said tommy says ones versus one first quarter then mix things up the rest of the way i mean i wouldn't mind seeing that either i would like to see it they're going to see the ones versus one you know they'll be doing a lot of that in practice when nobody is you know none of us are there to see it. So they'll get to see some of that. So I don't know what importance they'll place on doing it in a spring game. That's going to be televised and all that.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help for your financial to do's bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app.
1: I touched on this a second ago. like, like The aspect of with Gino Gaduli, now you've got, you know, you had Tommy Reese, who was the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. Whereas now Parker, his position group is obviously the tight ends, and you've got Gaduli dedicated solely to the quarterbacks. He doesn't have to worry about calling plays and doing all this stuff. How much. You know, is there benefit, do you think, in having a, a quarterback-dedicated coach that doesn't have to worry about being the coordinator?
2: I do, because I think that there's instances where, you know, quarterbacks go through things that are more, like like we've kind of said before, on a micro level that, like, really, a quarterback coach can help them through, right? Like, maybe going through different kind of mechanics or release points, etc. cetera. And I think sometimes you just need like it becomes kind of suffocating when you're when your OC is also your quarterback coach because then who are you who are you really like venting to right like if you have a problem or you didn't have a good practice like you're going to get it double because he's your quarterback coach and he's your offensive coordinator at the same time so i think it's a good idea to kind of have like that release valve or that outlet for quarterbacks to kind of go to the quarterback coach at an intermediate level maybe talk through some things and then, you know, proceed on to the offensive corner. I just think it allows for a little bit of a buffer that's only going to benefit the quarterbacks at the end of the day. Because, you know, when I was when I was playing, my my defensive coordinator was also my linebacker coach. And at times I hated him because it was so he was just he's so intense and so attention to detail, which is fine. But like when you're frustrated, you're dealing with the same person twice. Right. That's there's, true. There's you no in-between. Like, it's
1: not like you can go to the defensive line coach and, and start bitching about your, right. you know, your position coach slash coordinator. It's like, yeah, so if you have somebody else and, – and not that it's all about complaining or whatever. It Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I hadn't really thought about it in that aspect, but that, that does provide another buffer there, and maybe that's good for the quarterbacks ultimately.
2: I do think so. And, I, I again, I think it's just largely – like when you're playing, you just want that kind of person here and there to just kind of, you know, even if you're doing bad, you, you still want to be able to release those kind of frustrations and talk through talk through it with someone. And I'm not saying that you can't do it with Jerry Parker, but it's just it's too, it's at a different level. It's a different kind of conversation when you're talking to, you know, your, your coordinator compared to your position coach. There's just a different kind of level to it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, and like I just think that big picture – as well, a position as important as the quarterback, with as much, especially for like in this case where you've got with all the stuff that we've talked about with Jared Parker being a you know really a not a first-time coordinator, but still relatively new to being a coordinator. With all that he's going to have to do, I, I think that it it helps having okay, I've got this guy with experience. He's going to work with the quarterbacks, and again. Parker as the coordinator gets to to deal with the bigger picture about, yeah know, I mean it takes
2: amount. off a lot it takes off the responsibility and pressure that he's already facing as a first year right. coordinator. And, and, like, and
1: then you know and then again like the coordinator middle of a game can you know like step and 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 deal with all the different position groups as well and, it, and again like the most important position on the field he's got one guy who can deal with that you know like I, I think I think I think it can be nothing but good especially here early on as Jared Parker kind of gets this thing going as Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. Jeff wants to know in 2023, should there be a red zone package for Tyler Buckner? Oh yeah. Pros, cons to this Hartman does have mobility, just not Tyler Buckner mobility. What do you think?
2: I mean, I've been advocating it, you know, ever since the discussion has been what, what's playing time looking like for Hartman and Buckner after the transfer and I'm I'm 100 on board that. I just because Hartman might be the starter, I definitely think there's got to be packages built in for Buckner just because of what he forces safeties and linebackers to have to do with being a run threat. You have to make them, you know, respect the box and step down on play action. And so, you know, and Tyler Buckner proved last season that his throwing game improved. So it's not like when Tyler Buckner is in the game, it's just going to be a straight run. You, but you still have to honor his run game. And when you get down in the red zone, you have the running backs that they do have the tight ends that they do. I'm a hundred percent, you know, advocating for that. I think that there needs to be some sort of, you know, inside the 30, inside the 20 kind of Tyler Buckner packages. And I'm not saying you have to run it every time you get into the red zone or inside the 20, but I think it's something that should be used because of he can throw the ball efficiently and he can use his legs efficiently. And when you add, you know, two other running backs, tight ends, whatever, it's going to be hard. It's just another thing you have to account for. And I think it's going to make the defenses a step slower, um, and again, kind of respect the box in terms of the run game.
1: I agree. Uh, I agree with all of it. I mean, just look what he did in the Gator Bowl in the run zone, and now in the red zone. I mean, it, it, now now look, I'm not saying that, and we've kind of talked about this, it, it, maybe it's been with Vince, you know, I think you and I maybe a little bit. You know, like we, we, we've talked about it. I'm not saying this is going to be a package that looks like, what Tyler Buckner was running when he was, you know, Jack Cohn's, you know, the package quarterback when Jack Cohn was here, he's whatever it is. It's like, he's running the full offense, but because he's Tyler Buckner and he has the the wheels that he has, there's another element to the offense. So like you're running the full offense, but because you're Tyler Buckner, you're bringing a different element that Sam Hartman doesn't bring when you're down in the red zone. That's, that's what I would be for. I'm looking, Sean. Are you a dump and chase or puck possession guy, Derek? Isn't
2: that a hockey question? It is
1: a hockey question, and I, every once in a while, he throws in a hockey question for some reason. I'm not really sure why. He must
2: know that you bought hockey for dummies back in back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When you had to cover a couple hockey games here. And there. Oh my
1: gosh, <laughs> I, I had to. Uh, I, I just I don't follow hockey. It's not that I don't like hockey. I've said before, like. I would love to have played hockey growing Same. up, but in Kansas, they didn't have it. And, you know, like, so I just, I know nothing about hockey. And there were a couple times a few years back that the station decided the regular play by hockey, play by play guy was gone. So I was going to call some hockey games and I did. I bought <laughs> hockey for dummies <laughs> to try to, all the terminology. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, cram for hockey when you don't know part of it is just the terminal, you know. Any game is like just knowing the terminology, the lingo, that kind of stuff. And it just it doesn't trip off your tongue very easily if you don't follow it. So
2: I gotta be to air, to answer. I know you didn't ask me, but I, I'm a I'm a puck possession kind of guy. I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a dump and chase, you know, dumping it down by the goal, chasing around trying to get a shot. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like I'm not about that. I like top of the top of the ice. You know kind of from the I think it's the blue line, blue line or red line, one of the lines from the top. A lot of passing it around and getting good clean shots off. So yeah, that's, See, and that's my the answer. thing
1: too. Is like I don't like the hand signals. You know, from officials like basketball and football, like pretty much know all of those. But in in hockey, you know, with the hand signals, they just stop and it's like you know they don't really tell you what's going on. And if you <laughs> don't know the hand you signals, the ones
2: get around. Yeah. To me, the hardest part about hockey is it's I understand it's a white ice and black puck, but it's still so hard to follow the puck if you're not an everyday watcher. Yeah. It's hard to I think that hockey, and I've seen this before. I think I I, that hockey should implement on TV like a little puck tracker thing. So you know like where the puck is headed to because I can't see it at times, and all of a sudden there's just a freaking shot off, and you're like, oh, okay. And another thing I didn't realize is The aspect of, like hockey, a lot of times a a strategy is, and not to get too off topic here, a a big strategy is, you know, guys will kind of stand in front of the goal and they'll rip shots and a guy will just kind of deflect it in. I didn't really kind of realize the importance of that, that guys are often kind of just trying to tip shots or deflect shots in right in front of the goal to kind of, you know, get the goalie off track. But... What do I know? Yeah, well, what do, what do any of us know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs>